Well, I want to continue in our series this morning and uh, jump right into it because uh, we're kind of short on time today. Uh, But there are two questions I really wanted to get into uh, as we've been going through this series, asking for a friend. And the real importance behind all of this and, and my heart in it has been, it is so important for us to establish good, godly theology in the things that we deal with. Because, how many of you know, there is a difference between what is socially acceptable and what is biblically acceptable. And we need to be in the place of challenging ourselves. What does the Bible say? And, and that's void of emotion. It doesn't matter oftentimes how I feel about it. It's just about humbling my heart and saying, okay, God, what do you say on these things? So we've dealt with a couple issues over the last few weeks that we are trying to figure out what does God say about what it means to be saved or if you can lose your salvation. What does it mean uh, to, when we die? What happens to us? Where do we go? What, what's going to happen to us? But there are a couple of questions uh, that I, I put together today that I wanted to be able to address, and and I think it's really important for us in our culture. And here's the question that was posed. What does the Bible say about divorce? What does the Bible say about that? And this is really important for us to understand and to, to formulate a theology on what the Bible says about divorce and understanding it from a biblical perspective. And, and again, I want to say this with absolute grace and humility. Uh, there is forgiveness for everything. Can we just say amen to that? Everything. And, and so we, we know that there are things that we need to be forgiven of. We know that there are things that we have made mistakes. And if you've been divorced, uh, I, I say, please don't tone me out, okay? Uh, uh, this is not going to be a message to browbeat those who have been uh, divorced and say, well, it's okay, Jesus forgives you anyway. I want to focus on the biblical concept of this and what it was talking about when it addressed divorce in Scripture. So a couple of things just to give some background here. Uh, in the Bible, God uses the term unfaithfulness to describe Israel and their human relationships. So he talks about how Israel, you've been unfaithful to me. Throughout scripture we see time and time again that God refers to himself from the stance of the husband and Israel, his people being his bride. Uh, I don't know about you, it may make some of our guys uncomfortable, but turn to each other and say, you're the bride of Christ. Come on guys, soak it up, you're the bride of Christ. So it's manly and it's awesome, all right? You are the bride of Christ. We won't put you in a dress, that's weird. All right, also in the Old Testament, women did not have the legal ability to divorce their husbands. We need to understand this background concept because everything we read in the Old Testament and a lot of the New Testament comes from a patriarchal system that is male-dominated, and women do not have the rights to do these things. So we need to understand that background as well. Uh, Number three, believers are commanded not to divorce their spouse just because they don't follow Jesus. Well, we're going to read into this in a little bit later in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, when he has to address this with the Corinthian church and explaining to them, listen, now that you're saved, just because your husband or your wife did not come to saving grace in God, don't just divorce them just because you're not, you're not on the same page. And so we'll talk about that a little bit later. And then lastly, what we see here is that it says that unfaithfulness is the only acceptable reason for divorce in the Bible. And we want to understand every single one of these things, but I wanted to jump into Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 9, that we're going to read together. And I don't, do we have a screen issue? We have nothing on the screen, so it's fine. It's fine. You'll just listen to my voice and you'll all be happy. Matthew 19, verses 3 to 9, and it says this. Some Pharisees came and they tried to trap Jesus with this question. 
Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united as one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away, they asked. Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God originally intended. And I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. I want to stop here for just a second because, again, we need to look at what is happening biblically here. Number one, we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're the religious elite. Their goal was to try to trip up Jesus to prove that he wasn't really the Messiah. Okay, so when we see interactions between Jesus and these two groups, understand that is their sole purpose here. So they ask some ridiculous questions to try to trip up Jesus. Well, what about this? Sometimes it feels like you're talking to a teenager, all right? What, what does this mean? And what about that? I wasn't saying any specific teenagers, Tessa. It was just like in general, teenagers in general, like if that guilty conscience, I'll pray for you later. So we need to understand this is a different kind of um, conversation that's taking place. And in fact, we read right there in the beginning, they're trying to trap Jesus in this. But he says something that is important. And and we're going to get into this a little bit more in the next question we deal with. But this idea that God says, God created things in perfection. Okay? And then sin came into the world and ruined that perfection. God's intention, in fact, if if we look all the way back to the creation of Adam and Eve, in Hebrew, the the name for man is Ish, and the creation out of man is the Isha. So it's like you're just meant to be part of each other. God said you were supposed to, to be together, to rule together. This was my perfect design. You were supposed to love each other and care for each other. And, and listen, there's a lot of things that entered into the world when sin came into the world that were not part of God's design for humanity and, and specifically human relationships. How many of you realize that when we read the story of uh, the next generation after Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel. This is not God's intention. We're already seeing the things that are not what God had put in place that are playing out because we allowed sin to come into the world. And so when he says it wasn't this way from the beginning, he says, no, actually, I created you guys for perfection. I created you guys to be at peace. I created you guys to enjoy love and to be able to be together as one that you shouldn't have to worry about your neighbor or your brother or the person across town. You shouldn't even have an enemy. God said if we lived according to righteousness in the way that it was intended, there would be no brokenness. How many of you know there's some brokenness in our world? And listen, I know it's not, not really uh, something everybody loves to hear. The brokenness of our world is in direct correlation to the allowance of sin into the world. That is what has broken us. And it is the work of the gospel in which Jesus says, I am working to restore my people from where they have been back to what I have in store for them. Now, one of the topics I love in Scripture, and you won't see this in the Bible per se anywhere, but it's a concept 
is the idea of what Jesus has accomplished that is already done, but has not yet been received. How many of you realize that Jesus has already paid for sin and for your entrance into eternity in heaven with him? But you're not there yet, right? So it's already, but not yet. So we see this in Scripture where Jesus is doing things, causing things to happen. God's causing things to happen where he says, I've already done this for you, but you have not yet received it. So I want to jump into 1 Corinthians 7. A lot of great information in 1 Corinthians 7 as it pertains to relationships between husbands and wives. And you can read that a little bit later. But what we're going to focus on for right now is just verses 10 through 16. What it says is, is Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. He says, for those who are married, I have a command that comes from me, or not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And a husband must not leave his wife. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other. For God has called you to live in peace. Don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Now, here's what's going on that Paul is addressing. Christianity is spreading across the provinces of that area into the Corinthian church that has begun. And there's this idea that uh, we're told, and Jesus said this, he doesn't want us to be unequally yoked. And so this idea that once someone who has accepted Jesus, then now they have a biblical reason to then divorce their spouse. And so he has to address this specifically. He says, listen, you can't just divorce your spouse just because they refuse to follow Jesus. Now, this is, it's, it's a troubling, painful thing. I mean, I've, I've come across uh, wives and husbands who are serving God and their, other, their spouse is Um, And it's difficult. They're like, I want to be obedient uh, to the things that God wants me to do, but I'm also married. um, And and my husband or my wife doesn't agree with those things and doesn't see it that way. And so I I can't do some of the things that I want to do because I'm, I'm being honoring to my husband or my wife. And it creates difficulty. But Paul was addressing, don't just divorce them because of this instance. Secondly, he says that believer is not held liable if their spouse decides to abandon the marriage. Now, this is really important. This is something I want to take a moment to focus on because one thing that that really sticks out to me here, and if you have your Bibles out, you can read this. I have it on the screens. I'm sorry you can't see it. But in 1 Corinthians 7, 10, and 12, we read these two statements. All right, I'm going to read verse 10 first. He says, for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me. Say, not from me, but from the Lord. Verse 12, two verses down. Then he says, now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. So he makes this distinction in the way that he's talking about relationships. He's saying, listen, I have a command from God regarding this, but what I'm about to tell you here is not necessarily a command from God. This is just something that I know out of God's character that I want to speak to you. And here's what he says out of that. 
First of all, we see the Old Testament biblical concept. Your only reason to divorce your spouse is for unfaithfulness. But then he says that believer is not held responsible if the spouse abandons the marriage. And so we want to understand this idea that there is a biblical view and a practical view that is stated by the apostles. So my question then for us is how do we interpolate the concept of leaving your spouse? I think it's really important for us to understand, and and you've probably heard me say this many times if you've ever come to our services, God deals in covenantal relationship. It means if you, then I, okay? And he makes very clear through the Old Testament, uh, if you go back and read Jeremiah, Isaiah, some of the major prophets, he says, you have abandoned me, you have forsaken me. And basically, if we were to give it the message translation, he'd say, you have cheated on me. You've left me. You have abused my priests. You have abused me. You have abused the thing. And he talks about these concepts saying, because of that and your unfaithfulness, you have broken the covenant and I am no longer bound to you because you broke that covenant. And I think that when we look at interpolating and, and trying to cross the lines here as to where that hits for marriage, How many of you know that when you stand before God in marriage, you are entering into a covenantal relationship? That is why I usually stand right about here, and we have a couple stand here, and we ask the the terms of the covenant, will you promise to honor and cherish and care for and love and protect and serve? And the husband or wife says, I do, right? You've all been, everybody here been to a wedding? I actually met a man this week who told me he's never been to a wedding before ever. He's single, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) Then I asked the husband, do you promise to love, honor, cherish, protect, care for, and be compassionate to your wife? And it is in that moment that we're not expressing, we're not teaching on covenantal relationship. The vows that we make in those moments are taken back to the time of biblical covenant concepts. And it is this idea, wife saying, yes, I will uphold my end of the covenant. Husband saying, yes, I will uphold my end of the covenant. But then there are things that happen within relationships in which that covenant can be broken. And I think this is the thing that we really need to take a look at. And, and you know, there have been times that it's been preached throughout history that God doesn't have any compassion for husbands and wives. Or this idea that uh, unless your spouse is cheating on you, you just absolutely can't leave them. You have to stay with them forever. If they're abusing you, if they're doing all kinds, it doesn't matter. You've just got to stay with them forever. But let's look at how that plays into God's heart. When we're talking about covenant and he's saying, if you break that covenant, then the believer is no longer bound to that covenant. And I think there are things that we can look at that take place in our culture that we would say, listen, this might not be the, the cut and dry that that person cheated, but how many of you know, and I mean, I hope we believe this, God doesn't desire somebody to say with an abusive wife or an abusive husband. That's not God's heart. God would never say, well, you just got to, you know, and I've heard it preached this way. You just got to turn the other cheek and let them abuse you. Listen, that's not, that's a biblical misunderstanding. God himself is a God of love and mercy and compassion. And he himself states that he hates the shedding of innocent blood. What does that mean? God says, I hate abuse. It's not acceptable to me. And if I see abuses taking place, that's wrong. And I, and I think it's so important for us to speak into that because yes, it is difficult to be married. Who's been married really long in here? 
Anybody? 50 years? 50 years. Um, can I just ask you a question? Uh, Miss Blossom, Mr. Pat, if you could stand for just a second. Just a second. 50 years of marriage. Now, how many years have you been married? 57 years. Praise the Lord. Okay. Let me ask you, and just for all of us, the young people, myself included, to hear, was it easy? <laughs> Don't say anything else. It'll just go south from here. You can sit down. That's fine. Give them a plan. Listen, listen. I, I figured that would, I did not uh, stage that. I, that was a legitimate question there. I figured that to be the case because here's the reality, and please hear me in this. Marriage is not easy. I don't care who you think you know that you look at them and they're like, man, they just have a picture-perfect marriage. Marriage is not easy. It's hard. Staying in relationship and being forgiving and covenantal to one another is hard. It's not something, and and I think sometimes we get this idea culturally that anybody who's been married for 25, 35, 50 years, it was easy. It wasn't. I think, as we saw Miss Blossom almost fall over from that question. (laughs) I feel like we should treat you guys to dinner or something. It's not easy. And, and so we need to understand within this that there's a difference between the difficulties, the friction of being married, and the friction of that relationship, and what God says is acceptable. And listen, church, I think that we, we need to look through that lens. Is God saying, just divorce if you can't get along? No, he's not. Is God saying, just divorce if you have different political parties? He might be. Let me look. It's, no, 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 he's not saying that. He's not saying that. He's not even saying you don't just divorce your husband or wife just because they don't serve me. He says, but there are things that I find unacceptable, and I think we can see that within Scripture and understand that there is a very big difference between just divorcing somebody because we just couldn't get along and these concepts of what is broken covenantal relationship. And listen, this doesn't come up in Scripture because in, in biblical times and in the Old Testament, the concept of spousal abuse, is not, it doesn't even exist. It's not there. It's not, women don't have rights. In fact, the word woman in Greek means wife. There is no word for a single woman. It doesn't exist in the Bible. It's like you're either a a virgin, someone who is not married and living at home with your father, or you are a wife and you're married and living with a man. That's what took place in the Bible times. And so it is really kind of difficult for it to be able to speak exactly to some of the situations that we see today where there are people who are not married, who have been through entanglements, who have experienced abuse, who have experienced brokenness. And I I just want to say this to you, that there's grace in this for what God sees in those broken moments. And that God does not intend for that brokenness. He says, that's not the way I made it. That is not the way I made it. Listen, I don't care who you are in here, and I, I, I don't know of any circumstances, but I will say this. God never, ever would ordain a man or a woman putting his hands on their spouse. It's not biblical. It's not acceptable. 
And if you're in a relationship like that, you need to go see somebody and go talk to somebody because it's not acceptable. And just being like, well, I'll just, it's, it's okay. We don't want to get a divorce because that would be wrong. That would be, no, it's wrong to stay in a situation like that where you are being abused. And so please, if there is somebody in that circumstance, come and see one of our pastors. We would love to help you and help you walk through that brokenness that, you, that maybe you're experiencing in your relationship. But it is not God's intention. It is not the way he made it. Secondly, I want to jump to this question, and I'll try to be brief, but this is one I'm also very passionate about. The question was raised, can women serve in ministry? I'll make this short. No. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just take it easy. That's an attention getter. That's to wake you up a little bit. Um, actually, I love this topic a lot. Um, I have a master's degree in theology, and when I went for my master's, this was the focus of my thesis, my master's thesis, is the concept of women serving in ministry. Um, if you're interested in that, or if you struggle to sleep, um, ask me and I will give you a copy of it, and uh, I, that will help you. It is 95 pages long, and it is, it's an academic paper, but it, it talks about this, this idea that we are on a Christological uh, reconciliation of the Imago Dei. That sounds really smart, doesn't it? Eh, what? Eh, okay. The Imago Dei is just the Latin word for the image of God. And if we go back into the beginning, it says that God created male and female in his image. In the image of God, he made them both. But we see sin enter into the world, and at that point, there becomes a difference in the way that they're going to be treated. Husband is going to be this, wife is going to be this, and there's going to be a separation. But because of what Jesus has done, and I said before that, already not yet, Jesus paved the way for us to be returning to that place of being whole in that image of God, that, that original creation of God, where there is no difference, we're not broken by sin, but that we're back to what he restored for us. And we haven't received it yet, but we're working toward that daily. So here's what we read in 1 Corinthians 14. And when you read this, you're probably going to be shocked, but just don't tune me out yet. God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the meetings of God's holy people, women should be silent during the church meetings. What? Every woman in here just gasped. All right, just, just, oh, oh. It is not proper for them to speak. I feel like it's getting worse. They should be submissive. Oh, boy. Just as the law says. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Now, again, I want us to talk, talk about this for just a second here. There is a cultural concept here that we have to be very careful in interpreting and, more importantly, applying. Okay? As I said before, in the New Testament, there is no word for a single woman. Okay? If the word woman is being used, she is either living at home with her father or she is married to her husband. There really is no concept in biblical times of a single woman being on her own. She wouldn't have the ability to own property. She wouldn't have the ability to conduct business. None of these things could take place. You in that system either had to be living at home with your dad or living with your husband. Otherwise, you had nothing. And so it is from that concept out of a marriage and familial concept that he speaks. And he says, listen, when we all get together, there should be some order. Now, if there are going to be a bunch of questions that are going to be raised in the midst of our meetings, first of all, 
The men should ask the questions if they don't know the answers, and the wives should ask their husbands if they don't know the answers. Here, and I think this is where this is really important, and we miss this so often in the concept of biblical um, ideas regarding marriage, the responsibilities of husbands and wives. You will see in the New Testament, God holds men to a higher level of accountability and responsibility in their marriage than he does women. Ladies, I don't mean that to put women down for any one second. That is a biblical concept in what God says. He says, men of the home, I expect you to be men of God. I expect you to know the scriptures. I expect you, and we can go and read this in Ephesians, because when we're looking at the concept of submission, which nobody likes to talk about, but it is biblical, when we look at the concept of submission, we see wives submit to your husbands, and every wife groans because we're like, I don't want to do what he says. Listen, the next statement is, husbands, you need to love your wives the way Christ loves the church and the way he willingly laid himself down as a sacrifice for her. Now think about the levels of responsibility here. From a biblical standpoint, God is saying, wives, if you are submissive to your husbands and just follow their leadership, you can do no wrong. But husbands, if you don't love your wife the way Jesus loves the church, you, are, you, you better watch out. You had better love your wife the way that Christ loves the church. And so, we see these two things and we can interpolate. And here's a couple of ideas. Uh, number one, like I said, singleness is not a biblical concept in, uh, in Bible times. It's an anomaly. Number two, they speak to it this for the sake of order. And then men are held to a higher standard. But then we read this. And this is a, something I think is really important and beginning to push us in the direction of that already not yet. Galatians 3, 26 through 29. He says, for you are all. Can you say all? You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. What is he saying right here? He says, I understand that there are some cultural things, and this is a time during masters and slaves. This is a time where it's uh, Jews and Gentiles. And obviously we still live in the time of male, well, kind of. I was gonna say male and female, but we're really so far beyond that at this point. He says, listen, within the body of Christ, those things are insignificant because you are all heirs to the promise of God. Now, I will say this, and I, uh, this is something I studied extensively in the, the paper that I wrote. This idea of submission, this gets us really tripped up, okay? And it's been abused, for, for one, okay? That husbands have told her, well, you just have to do what I say because you have to submit to me. That's been abused. And also, there's been a lack of leadership among many men. I'm just gonna be honest. I heard a preacher once say, every man wants his wife to follow him, but it's hard to follow a parked car. <laughs> this dude ain't going nowhere, but he wants me to follow him. Wives, this is, or, or young ladies, this is why how the man you choose to marry is very important. But here's what we look at, that we are held to this accountability, this responsibility, and then we talk about submission, 
But I, I want us to see this and not miss this, miss this. Jesus, when he was on the earth, was fully God and fully man. Can we agree on that? Jesus is fully God. Yet he repeatedly says, I remain in submission to the will of the Father. And the reason I bring this up is because submission does not mean subordinate. Jesus was not subordinate to God when he was in submission to God. He remained fully God while being in submission to the will of the Father. And I think this is really important for us to understand this. That it does not mean that one is higher or one is lower. God is saying, I have a higher level of responsibility that I place on one. But when we look at this concept of being able to serve in ministry, to serve within the church, it is not from the standpoint of, well, women just have to be quiet. Women can't lead. Can I just be honest? I've been in churches before where if the women weren't willing to lead, the doors would have shut. There wouldn't be a church anymore because for a while, the guys weren't willing to do it. They were like, oh, that's girly, that's non-masculine, that's this, and it wouldn't have happened. I, I, I'm very grateful when I look at these, the sisters in history who have propelled the gospel forward. We also read in 1 Corinthians where he talks about the concept of prayer, and he says, for a woman, she can stand up and prophesy, but she needs a head covering, which we interpret as her hair on her head, so you can't be bald and pray. I don't know, that doesn't make sense. But it says a man cannot have a covering. That's why I'm holy, so just no covering. <laughs> but here's the thing that we see. There's no prohibition from women to stand up and prophesy. He doesn't say, women, you need to sit down and not speak and not say a word. He says, no, I expect the women who have the gift of prophecy to stand up and prophesy. They're supposed to do that. That's their gift. And so I think when we put all those things together, trying to understand this idea that when God speaks about the concept of women serving in ministry and, and this reconciliation that God has given us, we are on our way back to being just the way that God created us. We're not there yet, but I'm grateful when I see it happening more and more. When I see certain walls and certain barriers come down, when I see things happen, it's like, okay, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. There are sometimes I look at it and I say, we're getting further. But this is about us getting to the place of saying, okay, we're going to live according to godly principles and principles. Whether you are a man or woman, a husband or a wife in this room, God created you in his image. And he bestowed upon you the likeness of his son, Jesus. And he is calling you to live a life that honors and glorifies his name, to use your gifts and your abilities so that the world can know how much Jesus loves them. That's why he says none of that other stuff matters. We get really hung up on that. They're social constructs. He says none of that stuff matters in light of the fact that we are all followers and joint heirs with Jesus in this gift that he has given to us. And so what do I say? Women, Thank you for serving in ministry. Thank you. I really appreciate the sacrifices you have made to serve in ministry. Men, thank you for the ministry you've done. Thank you for your willingness. We've got to stop acting like we've got to be with something here and there. Listen, God uses people. God uses people who are willing to be used by him for his glory. And that's an awesome thing for us to see. Chip, could I ask you to, to join me on the stage? We're going to close out today. Um, again, I have loved some of these topics. There are a lot of things in life that are not easy, but they are worth it. And following God is one of them. Loving each other is another. 
But I've loved this, time, this uh, series. There are a couple questions I probably won't be able to get to in this series. I may address them uh, through some videos online because they are great topics. Uh, but hopefully we'll get to that at some point. But I hope you continue to learn and to grow. I hope you get a hunger within you to seek out biblical theology. Dig into the Word of God. There are answers. Ask your questions. Find out what God's plan is for your life because He speaks to every facet of it. 